Chapter 3, Sister As the voices of people faded in the distance, the Jumbie moved out of the protection of the shadows and prowled on all fours over the, clush, the freshly cleaned tombs. The low, flickering candles lit her naked body as she sniffed at each grave. Her eyes reflected the light back as though they were candles themselves. Her limbs were thin and as gnarled as branches. As she moved, the air rustled against her body. The rustling stopped as she came to the grave by the orange sapling tree. She smelled the scent of the man who had stopped to talk to her. Pierre, they had called him. And just like Pierre had done earlier, she traced her hand over the name on the wooden cross. She did not recognize it. Her kind did not use markings like these. But she was drawn to something in the scent that arose through the decay and the rotting wood and the wormy soil beneath. She had recognized some of that scent on the child earlier, the one who had come running into the forest, the same one with a wax figure that resembled her sister. She whispered into the ground as gently as the sound of the wind through the leaves. Is that you? Her language was known to animals, plants, rocks, and other jumbies, but not understood by humans. You never came back. I never knew what happened to you. There was no answer, only the sound of the waves crashing in the sea. Did you give up your sissy for that child? She looks like she has lived for as long as you have been gone. Did they kill you? Or did you die from being, being separated from us? She pressed her cheek against the ground and sang, Sister, sister, mine from birth, rotting now beneath the earth, mingled bodies, mud from mud, forever lost to human blood. Sister mine, since time began, sleeping underneath the sand. One is lost, but one is found, a family broken, now made sound. A low rumble emanated from the jumbie's chest. It grew louder and louder and ended in a shriek that pierced the air. People in nearby villages heard the scream, but comforted themselves with the thought that it was an owl on the hunt, even though it sounded like no owl they had ever heard before. Muddy tears flowed down the Jumbies' hollow cheeks. As they touched the ground, they turned into centipedes that scattered over the graves. When she stopped crying, she rose to her feet and said, Hush, hush now, sister. We will see if we can be a family again. The Jumbie crept along the outskirts of the island through the frothy sea to where the water grew calm and warm. There, the open mouth of a swamp rolled from deep inland, meandering through a thick mangrove forest with still, slick water. The Jumbie walked into the swamp and followed it to a muddy island. An old shack sat askew on it, its boards rotting with damp and falling away from the rusty nails that struggled to keep it together. The Jumbie called out. It was a low, throaty sound, nearly indistinguishable from the croaking of nearby frogs, the crapaud from the children's song, except that it pierced the air like an arrow. The witch who owned the little shack heard the Jumbie's call at once, even though she was standing a mile away from her house. The witch was crouched over a patch of white mushrooms, catching the magic that only came in the three hours after midnight. She swatted away the sound of the Jumbie's call like a mosquito at her ears and continued with her work. When the witch did not answer her call, the Jumbie's eyes flashed with anger. She broke into the shack and took some small bottles filled with the witch's medicines. 
Then she wrapped her bare hands in a length of green cloth and returned to the trees. Come back tomorrow and we'll find out if the Jumbie is really related to Corinne's mom and what that might mean for Corinne and her father. See you next time.